Thank you for joining us today. At ResLife, our mission is to develop committed followers of Jesus Christ to reach the world. Our content is created to equip and empower you in God's purpose. We hope you enjoy this message. We're in a series of messages. Uh, we took a couple weeks off, but we're back talking about the, in the series of messages, Just Say No. And today, I want to talk to you about saying no to greed. So our springboard text is in Titus chapter 2 and verse 12. It says, it, the grace of God, teaches us to say no to ungodly, worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Now, notice God's grace is not a license to sin and just say, oh, God, forgive me. The Bible says that the grace of God, it teaches us to say no. To say no to an ungodly, worldly, lustful, passionate desire. Right? And notice to live self-control. I was reading this morning in the book of James where it talks about godliness. And it says godliness is to keep oneself undefiled by the world. So, so God's grace teaches us and God's grace enables us to say no. But today we're going to talk about saying no to greed. Jesus in the gospel of Luke, the 12th chapter, says it this way. He said to them. Now, them is just the 12 disciples, by the way. But what Jesus said to them, he also says to us. Jesus spoke to Nicodemus and said, you must be born again. How many of you know that wasn't just for Nicodemus? That was for you. That was for me. And when he's talking here to his disciples about greed, it's not just for the 12 disciples. This is for you. This is for me. He said, take heed and beware of covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things that he possesses. So Jesus is telling us the exact opposite of what the world tells us. The world tells us your life consists in the abundance of the things that you possess. Your self-worth and your net worth are the same thing. But Jesus said, that is a lie. He said, the more that you have, you will not be happier. You will not be more fulfilled. You will not fulfill your purpose. Your life does not consist in the abundance of the things that you possess. But the deceitfulness of riches. And by the way, this is a term used not only by Jesus, but also in the letters in the Bible that are written to different churches. Jesus said it this way, Mark 4, 19. But the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches, enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. If we talk to Christians, and, and the majority of people here, you're, you're Jesus' disciples, and we say, is the word of God powerful? Everybody's like, yes, God's word is powerful. God's word can do anything. God's word moves mountains. Nothing is as powerful as the word of God. And in one sense, that's true, but in another sense, it's not true. Because Jesus said, there are things that will come in and choke God's word so that it does not produce fruit. And one of the things that will choke the word of God is the deceitfulness of riches. The deceitfulness of riches does not just come to rich people. It comes to all people. And basically, it says this, that your sense of importance, 
because money to people so often it represents importance. It represents power, influence, achievement, security. Right? Now, Jesus told us that money does not bring those things and that our number one pursuit should not be money. He said, but seek first the kingdom of God. So the deceitfulness of riches will come to you. And this will say, this is what it'll say. If you just had more money, you would be happy. If you just had that thing, right? That, that thing, then you would be happy. If you just had one of those, you would be happy. In fact, if you just had that, you would be somebody. And if you had that, you would not ever feel empty. And you would never hurt if you had that. And if you had that, you would be an important person. And if you had that, you'd be successful. And if you had that, people would recognize how important and how valuable you are. Right? That's the deceitfulness of riches. Because your life does not consist in the abundance of the things that you possess. Right? Now, Ephesians, when I, when, when I was thinking about this, the scripture that comes to my mind is Ephesians 2 and verse 10. For it says, we are God's own handiwork, his workmanship. So, so God created you. And he created you for a specific purpose. And because he created you for a specific purpose, and we'll get in that in the rest of the verse, he created you a certain way. Your height, your skin color, your your eye color, your hair color, uh, everything, the size of your feet. God planned it all, right? Because he was going to use you for some specific things. And you were no accident, No, you and I, we were created exactly the way God wanted us to be created, right? And we had things he wanted us to do. I thought this was an interesting fact, all right? If we were to take the DNA in your cells and lay them out in a single line, they would go 246,000 times to the moon. That's the minimum, 246,000. Some of us, I think we have more cells. So it would go farther, all right, but in your just your string of your DNA that God created, you were not an accident. God planned you. God created you exactly the way that that, that, that your, your DNA is on the inside of you, because He had things. Listen, you're recreated in Christ Jesus that you may do the good works which God predestined. See, God didn't just want to save you from something, sin, and this perverse generation. God wanted to save you to something. Right? So often we just think, well, God saved me from sin. That's half the equation. Right? He saved you for something. He saved you to do those good works which God predestined, planned beforehand for us, taking paths he prepared ahead of time. Now think about this. God has prepared for every single one of us things to do beforehand. Right? He prepared the things, but he prepared you for the things. The things are prepared for you, but you are prepared for the things, right? That we should walk in them. Listen, live in the good life, which he prearranged and made ready for us to live. Now, I don't know what you, some people think that beer, certain beer is the good life. It's not, right? The good life is the life that God prepared for you to live. He's got some stuff for you and I to do. See, because Christianity is not just about what you believe, it's about things you do. In fact, Jesus said, when he's talking to his disciples about the church, 
He says, teach them to do all the things. So often we think Christianity is just about what we know. I mean, it's good to know something, right? But the Bible says that knowledge puffs up, right? Knowledge makes you proud, but love edifies, right? Love builds you up, not puffs you up. It builds you up. And, and love is doing. For God so loved that he gave. He so loved that he gave. Now, if you're really into, let we say this, into the, 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 the stuff, it never satisfies. The stuff never satisfies. If that's what you're pursuing is stuff. Ecclesiastes 5.10. He who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver, nor he who loves abundance with increase. So if you love it, you won't be satisfied no matter how much you get. I was talking with a boat dealer a while back, and he was telling me about two-foot-itis. He says they get a 24-foot boot, boat, and then they want a 26-foot boat. But when they get the 26-foot boat, they want a 28-foot boat. And when they get the 28-foot boat, they want the 30-foot boat. Because he that loves silver will never be satisfied with silver, and he who loves abundance with increase. So what money is, money is a tool. Money is a servant. It's a great tool. It's a great servant, but it is a terrible master. And Jesus said this. He said, you can't serve God and money. The, The number one false God is money. Money and the things that it can that it can get for us. So it's a good tool. Great servant, terrible master. Now, some people say, well, that's because money is the root of all evil. No, the Bible does not say that. People think that it says that. It says that the love of it, the love of money is the root of all evil. See, all money does is money. If we can say it this way, it's an amplifier. It allows you to do what's in your heart in abundance. So here's my example. You know, years ago, we started a mission down on division, still there, streetlight. And um, I used to walk the streets down there and talk to people. And suppose there was a drug deal going on. There's two drug dealers. One guy's got a bag full of $100 bills, just stacks. They see the cop, they drop the money, and they run. I walk up. I see that bag. I kick that bag. Stacks of $100 bills comes out. Now, somebody would say, Pastor, that's evil money. That's drug money. But I say, that's my money. (laughs) Now, when I pick up that drug money, right, am I all of a sudden going to go, where's the crack house? Is, listen, is the money going to change me? No, no, because that money has no morality. But what that money will do is it will let me do what I have in my heart in more abundance, right? So so the first thing that's going to happen, I can tell you right now, the first thing that's going to happen is some of that money is going to go into the kingdom of God. Because every time I get some money, every time Jeannie and I get money, some of it goes in the, the first part always goes in the kingdom of God because that's in my heart. And my goodness, I got more money. I can do more. Right? Now, there are people who would find that money and it would take them to a drug house. 
But it wasn't the money that took them to the drug house. It was their heart that took them to the drug house. Because the money allows you to do what's in your heart in abundance. So let's talk for a few minutes about what is money really for. Right? Now, in Ecclesiastes, verse 7, it says, This wisdom I have also seen under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with a few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it and built a snare around it. And there was found in it a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet no one remembered the same poor man. And then Solomon goes on and talks about the lesson. He said, the lesson is this, that people don't listen to poor people. He says, they listen to the shouts of fools. How many of you know you can be rich and be a fool, right? But because you're rich, people listen to what you say. And you can be wise and poor and people won't listen to you. So here's what Solomon is saying, number one. He says, when you have money, it produces influence. Money produces influence, right? And you need to be careful how you use your influence. Because when you get blessed with finances, people will look to you. Now, there are special temptations for rich people. Did you know that? The Bible actually talks to rich people specifically because rich people face temptations other people don't really face. Right? But now, here's the problem. Nobody's rich. If you ask them, I know some rich people. And if I say, are you rich? They go, no, but he's rich. They'll point to somebody else. All right? Oh, wait, you know, I'm only worth 40 million, but they're worth 250 million. So I'm not rich, but they're rich. Now listen, listen. You are rich. Okay? If, if you, listen, if you have problems like this, my cell phone has bad reception. That is a rich person problem. Poor people don't have cell phone reception problems, right? If you open your closet and you look and you go, I have nothing to wear. <laughs> that is definitely a rich person problem, all right? Because the closet's full. If you take your refrigerator that works and get rid of it and get one a different color, that is a rich person problem. In fact, if you have a car, you're rich. And if your car has a house called a garage, you are stinking rich. Those are all rich people things, all right? We think, well, so everybody thinks somebody else is rich. Right? But the truth is, you and I, we're rich. So the Bible says this, 1 Timothy 6, command those who are rich. So don't think this is talking about somebody else. This is talking to us. Command those who are rich in this present age so you can be rich financially, but you could be rich spiritually. He's talking about a particular type of riches, not to be haughty. Don't be proud. Don't think I've got money because I'm smarter, because I'm better than other people. That's why I've got this money. You're deceived. You're deceived. Your life does not consist in the abundance of the things that you possess. And somebody else's life is not less because of things they don't possess. So one of the things that can happen when you 
have an abundance when you're rich is you think you're better because you're rich. See, you just happen to be born in America instead of being born in a poor country in South America or Africa. That didn't make you better, but it gave you the opportunities that other people didn't have. So the first thing is beware of pride because you think you're better nor to trust in uncertain riches. Here's the other thing that riches do to so many people, their security. Solomon said it like this. He says, their riches are like the walls of a city. They think they're protected, that riches give them security, right? Our security and our identity should never come from what we possess. Our security and our identity should come from Christ, right? And if you think because I've got certain riches, I'm safe. The Bible says, no, 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 do not. In fact, the Bible says, command Christians not to think that way, not to act that way, but to trust in who? The living God. Listen, who richly gives us all things to enjoy. Right? So when God blesses you, he wants you to enjoy it. Not be ashamed of it. Not hide it. Enjoy it. I'm going to make a confession. Jeannie and I, we bought a nice pontoon boat with a big motor. You say, why'd you get a big motor? Because we had one with a little motor. right? And I would pull my grandkids, eight years old, maybe going, go faster, Papa, go faster. And I'm like, as fast as it goes. <laughs> so I got one with a big motor. all right. And now they're like, Papa, go slower. And I'm like, I'm enjoying it. <laughs> I love it. And I'm not ashamed of it. When God blesses you, what should you do? You should in, enjoy it. Enjoy it. God wants you to be blessed. Enjoy the blessings. Don't hide the blessings. Don't feel bad about the blessings. But let them do good, that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time or the life to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. The Bible says when you're blessed, bless people. Bless people. In 2 Corinthians, it says the more you get blessed, the more you should bless. Right? So you start at one level, but that doesn't mean you stay at that level forever. As you get blessed more, be more of a blessing than what we were before. Right? 1 Timothy 6.10. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Not money, but the love of money. One translation says it this way. I tried to find it this morning. I, I couldn't find it. But it says you've got this craving on the inside to get more and more. You just, your number one pursuit is not the kingdom of God. Jesus said, but seek first the kingdom of God. But your number one pursuit is money and stuff. Right? The Phillips translation says, for when men set their heart on being wealthy, they expose themselves to temptation. They fall into the world's traps. They lay themselves open to all sorts of silly and wicked desires, which are quite capable of utterly ruining and destroying their souls. For loving money leads to all kinds of evil. And some men in the struggle to be rich have lost their faith and cause themselves untold agonies of mind. So it's not that money's bad. 
But when we make it our number one pursuit, it endangers our soul. We need to be seeking first the kingdom of God. So I want to take a few minutes and talk to you about just a few of the purposes of money. Uh, many people never even thought, what's money really for? What's it for? Well, first of all, to meet needs, to meet the needs of your family. First Timothy chapter five, verse eight. But if anyone doesn't provide for his own, especially those of his own household, he's denied the faith and he is worse than an infidel. So we need to pay our bills. We need to get food and clothing and housing. Those are all things that we're supposed to do when we receive finances. Now, the second thing I want to mention is giving. It is actually a purpose of money. In Ephesians 4 and verse 28, it says, Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands, what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. And and I really believe this, that if we were to ask God, what's the purpose of money? I think the number one thing on God's list is give. Give. See, for God so loved that that he gave, that he gave. And when it talks here about somebody coming to God, And it says, the first thing you need to get a job, you need to work so that you have something to give, something to give. Listen, there is something that happens on the inside of us when we take something that we could use for ourselves, and we sow it, we give it to somebody else or put it into another purpose. In Malachi chapter three, it says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. Now, by the way, tithing is Old Testament. It's before the Old Testament, and it's after the Old Testament. And it's, after the, it's in the New Testament. So it's before the law, it's in the law, and it's for us today. And by the way, someone asked me a while back, could I tithe 5%? And I said, no, you'd be nickeling. Because tithe literally means 10%. In fact, it's not just any 10%, it's always the first. Now, somebody said a while back, they said, well, I just don't have money to tithe. I said, no, you just don't have money to go to McDonald's. And somebody said, well, that's really rude. (laughs) Well, listen, God wants to be first, first. See, when, when something comes into genie in my hands, the first thing that happens, if we give off it, we sow off it. Why? Because that's what the Bible teaches. It's not what's left over. God always wants the first. And wherever we put God first, he blesses us. Okay? So it says, bring all or the full tithe to the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this. Other translations say, improve me. This is the only time God says to test him, right? Is when it comes to money. He says, put me first and see what happens. And God says, see if I won't open the windows of heaven and pour you out such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. Now, Jesus tells us that one of the purposes of finances is to prepare for eternity. He says, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Now, literally what happens when we take something and we put it in the kingdom of God. 
Something that is temporal, something that is subject to change and destruction becomes eternal. Once we put it in the kingdom of God, thieves can't steal it. Rust and moth cannot destroy it. Inflation cannot diminish it. When we put it in the kingdom of God, it's waiting for us. In fact, in Philippians chapter four, Paul talks about your account. Literally, you have an account in heaven where when we sow into the kingdom of God today, it's deposited in our heavenly bank account. You know, just about everybody prepares for retirement. But Jesus says, you need to prepare for eternity. He says, you need to sow now for eternity. Um, 40, 45 years ago, Jeannie and I moved to Mexico. And uh, we went to down, Guadalajara, Mexico. We went to downtown market. And uh, everything is bartering, right? So Jeannie saw a blanket that she wanted. And uh, roughly, I think the guy was asking about $35 American. So I offered him five. And you say, well, that's really cheap. No, that's what you got to do to get down to where they really want you to be. So we're, we're going back and forth and he comes down to 25 and I go up to 10 and, you know, I'm wanting to get this thing for 15 bucks in pesos, right? But he's wanting 18 bucks and we kind of hit this impasse. So we've been taught what you're supposed to do is you walk away and then you'll get the best price. Okay. So I said to Jeannie, let's walk. Right? We start walking and he, he literally comes after us with the blanket and, and grabs me. And this is what he says. He says, uh, this blanket will last a lot longer than your $18. And he got me. <laughs> Listen, we bought the blanket and we still have it. Now the eight, listen, the $18, I guarantee you, it would have gone for a latte or a pizza or a taco. It would have gone, all right? But we still have that blanket. When you put something in the kingdom of God, it does not last 45 years or 145 years. When you sow into the kingdom of God, it's eternal. And Jesus said, not a thief can steal it. Inflation cannot diminish it. Nothing can happen to it. So part of the purpose of our money today, Jesus said, is to prepare for eternity, to lay up for eternity. Now, another purpose of finances is to test you. Now, you may have never thought about this, but every time money comes to you or to me, it's a test. And Jesus said this, Luke 16, if you have not been faithful with unrighteous mammon, with money, who will commit to your trust true riches? He said, no, God looks at what you do with money. And if you don't handle money well, he won't commit spiritual things. True riches are spiritual things. He won't commit spiritual things to you. Now, in numerology, the study of numbers, particularly in the Bible, 10 is the number of testing. And of course, the tithe is 10%. But I want to ask you, when, when God is delivering the Israelites out of Egypt, right, He's testing Pharaoh's heart. How many plagues came? Ten. Ten. And, and by the way, how many commandments did Moses come down with? Ten. God said to Moses, you have tested me these 
10 times in the wilderness. Jacob is working for Laban and God's working on his heart. And Jacob says, you changed my wages 10 times. Jesus tells the story about the virgins. Some are wise, some are foolish. How many of the virgins were there in the test? 10. Daniel is in Babylon. He's being fed food that are sacrificed to idols. So he goes to the man in charge and he says, please feed us vegetables only for 10 days and test us. How many days? 10 days and test us. Jesus said this, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison and you will be tested and have tribulation for 10 days. Let me get the picture. 10 is a test. Right? And when God says, bring me 10%, how many realize what's happening? It is a test. It's a test. Are we going to put him first or are we going to put ourselves first? And one last thought. God wants us to use our money in such a way that we're able to leave an inheritance. Proverbs 13, 22. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Right? So you settle your affairs before you die. The great example of this is Abraham, by the way. This is in Genesis 25. Sarah has died, and Abraham is now 133 years old. All right? And Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac. Now, after Sarah died, now this, this kind of blew my mind. He's 133. And he marries Keturah. And he has six kids. He's 133. And he has six kids. Right? So he gave all that he had to Isaac. And he gave gifts to the sons of the concubine. All right? And then he sent them away. But he gave Isaac all that he had. Now, he did it while he was alive. I have been at, I don't want, I'm going to say a lot of funerals where I've seen families arguing about money at the funeral. Now, it happens because somebody did not prepare ahead of time, right? And uh, some people, I just, some people don't want to face the fact that they're mortal, they don't want to prepare for when they die because then they're going to say, you know, I'm going to die. They don't ever want to think that they're going to die. But listen, if Jesus does not come, you and I, our bodies are going to die. Right? It may shock you, but the death rate among humanity is 100%. <laughs> it happens to all of us. Right? And the Bible says you're prepared beforehand. In fact, it actually tells us to follow the faith of Abraham. And Abraham, in faith, took care of everything before he died. Now, you might think you don't have a will, but you actually do, because the state has one for you. And if you die without a will, they will determine where all your finances go, and they will take a bunch of it, by the way, because that's what they think should happen, right? And where your children go, right? So it's really necessary that we prepare. Um, this was... I'm going to say at least 15. It may have been 20 years ago. But there's a couple here in church. And uh, their families were, were not godly. And they said, you know, we, we, we just cannot imagine 
if we died, what would happen to our children? And we knew them quite well. I'd even say very well. And they said, would you take our children? They had three daughters. If we, have, if we happen to die. And we said, yes, we will. You just get it set up. We'll sign. We'll do everything you want. Right? Three years passed. Maybe it was even five years. I don't remember the exact amount of time. They were in a plane crash, and both of them died. They hadn't prepared anything. And the very thing that they feared, right? the family swooped in, literally stole the kids at night, right? took them out of state. And uh, the very, very thing that that family feared is what happened to them because nothing was prepared. Nothing was prepared. So I want to tell you what's going to happen. Next month, we are going to have a estate planning seminar. Now, you need this if you're young. You need this if you're old. Right? And if you haven't done something in years, you need to, re- you need to redo it. Right? Now, here's the thing. We actually have on retainer a law firm. Right? So we are going to pay 100% of what it costs. So this will cost you nothing. Right? This would normally cost you between six dollars and $10,000. Right? But it's going to cost you zero. We believe so strongly in your necessity to do this just in case that the inevitable happens. And I mean, no, eventually your body's going to wear out. Right? But you're going to need to be, you need to be prepared. So on September the 25th, we're going to have an estate planning seminar. It will cost you zero. Cost you zero. And if you were to go and have it done, the lawyers are going to do this. All right? And again, we have them on retainer, so it's all paid for. But it will cost you six to $10,000 to have this done. It's all going to be done for you for free. Lawyers are going to do it. It's going to be notarized. Everything's going to get done. Right? All you need to do is, is show up. Show up and, and uh, do the work. Right? So I just want to encourage you. Right? Follow the faith of Abraham. Have things prepared beforehand. Right? And leave an inheritance to your children and to your children's children. All right. Would you bow your heads for just a moment? I know there's, there's many of us here, we've, we've lived for God and, and served God for years and years. But I know also, the Bible says that the devil goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Jesus said he is a liar and the father of lies. And he tells people, he says, God has rejected you. God is mad at you, literally. He will tell people, you have gone too far. You've done too much. It is too late for you, right? But that is a lie. That is exactly what the devil says, right? And Jesus said, he's a liar and he's the father of it. But this is what I know. I know that God loves you. I know that God is reaching out to you. I know it is not too late. And I know you have not gone too far. Now, what God wants to do is he does not want to just forgive your sins. He wants to save you, Peter said, from this perverse generation. He wants you to become a part of his kingdom, not just when you die, but today. Jesus said, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Some of us that are here today, some of you that are listening, If you could cry out, you would just say, God, rescue me. 
rescue me from this addiction, from this depression, from the direction that my life is headed. Rescue me. Well, that's what he wants to do. And he wants you to, to take you out of the kingdom of this world and put you into the kingdom of God. He doesn't want to just forgive you. He wants to make you new on the inside. And he wants you to live the good life he has prearranged and made ready for you to live. The Old Testament prophet said it like this. The Lord says, I know the thoughts that I have towards you, thoughts of peace and not evil, to give you a future and a hope. Following Jesus is not just about being forgiven. It's about him making you new. It's about you and I living our life for him, obeying Jesus, obeying his word. And if you're away from God today and you're not right with God, we're going to pray a prayer in just a moment. And the Bible says, whosoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And if you will pray this prayer from your heart, we're going to call on his name the way the Bible shows us to. And when we say amen, you're going to be forgiven, but you're going to be more than forgiven. You're going to be a part of this family, a part of this kingdom. So he wants you to be his disciple, to grow and to live the life that he's prepared for you to live. Now, if you can, if you take hands with somebody, if you feel comfortable, reach over, take somebody's hand. And we're going to pray this prayer out loud from our hearts. So you repeat this, just say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. Say it out loud. I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. And I believe he rose again. Victorious over death, sin, and the devil. And I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I hold nothing back. Jesus is my king. And I'm his disciple. I'm going to follow him and obey him all the days of my life. I thank you. You've heard my prayer. My past is gone. I'm a part of your kingdom today and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope what you heard today has been encouraging and given you new insight into the Word of God. We upload weekly. So join us again next time. Be blessed and enjoy your week.